Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Stephen Landsberg will join us to discuss about smart and economists. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Show. Well, the world now is filled with fake news and splashy sound bits. Well, how do we use our critical thinking skills to work our way around these issues? Joining us today to help us train our brain is Professor Stephen Landsberg. Professor Landsberg is a professor of economics at the University of Rochester. He's the author of several books, including More Sex is Safer Sex, The Big Question, and of course, the best-selling The Armchair Economist, among others. He has written numerous academic and popular articles, including those for Forbes, Slate, and The Wall Street Journal, among many other publications. His new book, Can You Outsmart an Economist? 100 Plus Puzzles to Train Your Brain, a delightful collection of puzzles and brain teasers for novices and experts alike. Professor Landsberg, very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. And very pleased to be here. Well, certainly our pleasure. Certainly a great collection of puzzles you've put together here. Well, why did you decide to write the book? Well, you know, what I've always loved about economics is that it, it gives you a set of tools for understanding the world a little better just by using a little bit of logic to help you look beyond the obvious and understand uh, what's happening around you. And I, to me, uh, of course, all this stuff is valuable. It's useful to understand the world better. You, It makes you a, a better voter. It makes you better in your business and better in your personal relations. But the main thing is that it's fun and I, puzzles are fun. Economics is fun. And uh, I wanted to share that fun. So I, I put together a, a bunch of puzzles, brain teasers, and other fun uh, little exercises that I think uh, teach something but are also just uh, stand on their own as as the kind of thing that people like to like to do. What led you to the different, different topics? I mean, there's a number of them. There's, how did you come up with sort of the broad scope of these puzzles? Well, uh, you know, a lifetime of thinking about these things and blogging about them and teaching them. And uh, I've, I've learned over many, many years which topics grab people's interest and which topics are uh, easiest to talk about and which topics people have strong opinions about. And I've also learned a lot about uh, the, the things that people, even very intelligent people, consistently get wrong and are often delighted when you point out to them that there's a better way to think about these things. So it's, uh, you know, how did I choose them? I chose the ones that have worked well with audiences over the years. Are there any puzzles that uh, you think can't be solved using economic point of view? Oh, I'm sure there are, but I, an economic point of view always helps, even if it can't solve the puzzle. It can at least point you away from answers that can't be right. Often, uh, you've got a puzzle. Take, for example, the question of why popcorn is so expensive in a movie theater. Uh, you ask people, uh, why Why do they charge so much for popcorn in the movie theater? And consistently, the answer you'll get is because they've got you, uh, they've, they, they've, they've got you. You're in the theater. There's no place else to shop for popcorn. They've got monopoly power. Of course, they're going to exploit that. Now, 
that can't be right. And the reason it can't be right is that once you're in the theater, they have monopoly power over a whole lot of things. They could charge you to walk across the lobby. They could charge you to walk through the double doors. They could charge you to walk down the hallway. They could charge you to take a seat. They could charge you to use the water fountain. And they don't charge you for any of those things. And the reason they don't is because people would stop going to those theaters. So uh, one is left with the puzzle of why is popcorn different? That turns out to be a remarkably hard puzzle. Uh, many of the obvious answers don't work. There's an example of an obvious answer that doesn't work. And again, even when the economics can't completely solve the puzzle for you, it at least explains why what you think is the obvious answer is is often not the right one. All right. So now you've posed the question. So what, what do you think is the answer? Uh, the answer, I think, is actually remarkably complicated on that one. Um, you are trying to charge some people more than others for the entire package of movie plus popcorn. This means that the popcorn eaters are paying more than the non-popcorn eaters. And somehow that has to be related to the fact that you believe that popcorn eaters are willing to spend more for an evening out than non-popcorn eaters are. I'm not sure why you would necessarily believe that. It could be true. It could be false. But if it is true, then it explains the uh, the behavior. Again, there are a few of these puzzles, not many, but that's one where I end up throwing up my hands and uh, explaining why a lot of the things you might think are not right and saying, I'm not sure what is right. <laughs> Before we get into some more of these puzzles, what, what do you think it really takes to then to think about things as, as an economist? Uh, you know, it, it takes an open mind. It takes a willingness to believe, uh, to accept the fact that your first instincts might be wrong. Uh, the theme I keep coming back to in the book, Can You Outsmart an Economist? The theme I keep coming back to is uh, that you've got to look beyond the obvious. Um, uh, I'll give you another example, if I may. Um, uh, I, I, there are a lot of news articles recently saying that, uh, according to studies, Beautiful teachers, physically beautiful college professors get higher ratings than non-beautiful professors. Uh, there's a puzzle there. Why is that? Uh, the obvious answer and the one that uh, the journalists all seem to subscribe to is that students are shallow and that they are swayed by physical beauty even when physical beauty is irrelevant. Looking a little beyond the obvious and just using a little bit of economics tells you that it's deeper than that. What's really going on, I'm quite sure – is that physically beautiful people have a lot of job opportunities that other people don't have. They can be actors, they can be models, and beyond that, much more broadly, in retail sales, physical beauty pays off. In anything where you're dealing with the public, physical beauty pays off. So a physically beautiful college professor, on average, is somebody who gave up a lot of good opportunities to be a college professor. Typically, that's going to be somebody who really, really is enthusiastic about being a college professor, and they're going to do a better job. The less beautiful people, again, there are exceptions in all directions, of course, but on average, the less beautiful people are more likely to be people who went into teaching because they didn't have a lot of other opportunities. And those people, on average, are not going to be as good. Uh, so you should always expect in any job where physical beauty does not matter, you should still expect the beautiful people to be doing the best job. You show me a lighthouse keeper with movie star good looks, and I will show you one of the world's great lighthouse keepers because a, a lighthouse keeper who gave up a career in movies to become a lighthouse keeper is somebody who was really dedicated to the job. They, they must love you sure boats don't crash into the rocks there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, uh, do you have any favorites among all? I mean, you always like to bring up. Well, there are so many favorites. Uh, uh, one that comes to mind is suppose you live in a place – where for cultural reasons or whatever, most parents 
prefer to have sons rather than daughters. And there are a lot of such places around the world, we know this from data, uh, where it, many times in places where there's a strong preference for sons. At the adoption agencies in those places, would you expect adoptive parents to prefer to adopt boys or prefer to adopt girls? The obvious answer, which most people give, is of course they will uh, ask for boys. The correct answer, and uh, the data confirms this, is that actually they ask for girls. And again, a little bit of economic reasoning uh, uh, illuminates, illuminates why. In a place where people really treasure having sons, they're not going to put. Uh, they're not going to give up their sons for adoption unless there's something really wrong with them, unless they're really hard to raise, unless there are behavior problems or something. Girls, sometimes perfectly well-behaved, perfectly good, perfectly smart girls, get put up for adoption just because they're girls. So if you're looking to adopt and you care about the quality of the child you're adopting, you care about the behavior, you care about the intelligence, and so on, uh, you're you've got a much better chance with a girl. And the stronger the general preference for boys is the more the adoptive parents are going to ask for girls. Slim pickings when you come to the, to the boys then. <laughs> well, one that's sort of in the news recently is that the idea that gas prices are high really because oil company profits have increased. But, uh, is, is that true or false? That's absolutely, not only is it false, but it's exactly the opposite of the truth. If there is an interruption in the oil supply and you see gas prices shoot up, that's evidence that the oil companies are not colluding because if they were good at colluding, they would not have waited for the interruption in supply to drive those prices up. If oil companies are good at colluding, if they have monopoly power, oil prices are going to be high and they're going to be high all the time. If you see the prices going up when there's an interruption in supply, that means that prices were down before that interruption. That's evidence that they're not good at colluding. Uh, how about this one? Why doesn't Sony want its uh, TV sold at a discount? Why doesn't Sony want its TV sold at a discount? And they don't. I mean, I recently bought a Sony TV. I shopped around. It's the exact same price everywhere. Uh, what, and, and that's enforced by Sony. They will not allow retailers to sell their TVs at a discount. Why don't they want the TV selling at a discount? The obvious answer is, well, they want their TVs to sell for a high price, so they'll make a lot of money. That's wrong, and it's got to be wrong because Sony doesn't care about the resale price. They care about the wholesale price, which they have complete control over. Once they sell those TVs to Best Buy, it doesn't matter to them, or you would think it doesn't matter to them, whether Best Buy makes a big profit on those TVs or a small profit. So why does Sony prohibit Best Buy from discounting the TVs? Or why does Sony prohibit the discounter next door to Best Buy from discounting those, those TVs? Here's the reason, and again, it's easy to give an obvious answer. The obvious answer isn't right. Here's the non-obvious answer. If there were a store that was discounting Sony TVs, I would go to Best Buy where they're not discounted. I would take a couple hours of the salesman's time having him show me all the models and talking through the educating me about all the advantages and disadvantages and pros and cons. And then after taking three hours of his time, I would walk next door to the discounter and I would buy my TV there. Enough customers do that and Best Buy stops being willing to deal with customers who are looking to buy Sony products. They stop educating them. They stop dealing with them. So uh, in order to keep Best Buy willing to spend hours of time talking to customers, they have to prevent the discounter next door from discounting the TVs. Again, these are all things that require drill a little deeper, think a little deeper. Do you, do you think it's a skill that can sort of be trained by doing these puzzles daily or 
Absolutely. Look, with, like with anything, the more you do it, the better you get at it. You you find some kind of logic puzzle on the internet that you like to do, and if you do them every day, you get better at them. Uh, these are logic puzzles uh, at base, and it's a particular kind of logic. It's a particular kind of way of thinking that most people are not used to, and uh, uh, if you get used to it, you get better at it. As you go through the book, you'll probably get better at it. Uh, is that the goal? Uh, I, I, the goal really is, is the, the primary goal to me is to have fun. And uh, if it's a new kind of puzzle to you and uh, the process of getting good at it is 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 fun. And then if you uh, stop practicing it, uh, maybe it, maybe you will not ever become a Nobel Prize winning economist, but you'll still have a skill that's fun to to practice and fun to think about. And you'll always find something in the newspaper you can apply it to beyond your book, uh, places people can go to thinking about things in this way. Sure, they can go to my blog. <laughs> my blog is at thebigquestions.com, and they can go there. I, I have Lately, I haven't been blogging a lot, but for many years, I blogged every day, and all the backlog is still there. So there are plenty of examples of this kind of reasoning if you go back through the archives at thebigquestions.com. Uh, or you can go to outsmartandeconomist.com where you can read a little more about the book, and you can read the first chapter for free. So uh, that's that's a good place to get started, too. All right. Certainly hope people go and do that. We were just talking with Professor Steven Landsberg, uh, the author of the new book, Can You Outsmart an Economist? 100 Plus Puzzles to Train Your Brain. And uh, Professor Landsberg, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on The Grok Science Show. Thanks so much. And that's all for this week's edition of The Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on rocking.